Hello, James Kenny here, and welcome to my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number 23, entitled The Fenians, 1867, James Stevens, Charles Stuart Parnell, and Michael Davitt. The outro to this episode is the song Avondale, written in the late 1950s by Dominic Behan. And I've added a verse to the end to include Kitty O'Shea. I hope you like this and that you share it with others on social media. You can become a patron of this podcast by visiting www.landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com. In any event, continue to follow and like. He tells of the Irish Fenian, James Stevens, idle boast in Brooklyn in 1866 that in the winter months he would be back in Ireland leading an insurrection. This announcement was conveyed to the British authorities in double quick time. On the night of the 6th of March 1867, following the start of the proposed rebellion, a snowstorm commenced and continued without stopping for well over a week. This tempest of sleet and snow frustrated the uprising and helped the military to crush Fenianism, when hundreds were rounded up, arrested and thrown in jail to be tried. Some were charged with holding arms like sticks and penknives. Others were charged with singing patriotic songs and reciting ballads with patriotic sentiment. Scenes which might be deemed incredible in later years, had they not been the matter of public witness and public record in the press, filled the country with horror and indignation. The shrieks of Irishmen, given over to the knout, resounded almost daily. Blood clots from the lash sprinkled the barrack yards all over the country. Many of the Irishmen, thus sentenced, walked to the triangle and stripped themselves for the torture, which they bore without a groan. And when all was finished, while their colleagues turned away, sickened and fainting, they cheered anew for poor Ireland, or repeated the seditious aspiration for which they had just suffered. In the fire of such affliction, the whole nation became fused. James Stevens was born in Kilkenny in 1824, He was influenced by the revolutionary ideals of John Mitchell, and when famine stalked the land, he organised a band of like-minded men to drill in secret. He was with Smith O'Brien in 1848 at the skirmish in Tipperary, from where he escaped to Paris. He spent the next few years working in journalism. He toured Ireland in 1856, trying to drum up support for a new revolt. On St. Patrick's Day, 1858, he founded the Irish Republican Brotherhood. In 1863, he launched a Republican newspaper called The Irish People, which was banned and his offices were raided, and he was arrested and imprisoned in Richmond Jail, from which he escaped with the help of Thomas J. Kelly, and eventually arrived in New York via Paris, to which he quickly returned when he discovered he was not welcome by the American Fenians. 
Eventually, he was granted permission to return to Dublin in 1891 and made his home in Blackrock, where he died on the 29th of April, 1901. James Stevens was succeeded as head of the IRB by Colonel Thomas J. Kelly with his assistant, Captain Timothy D.C. They had a network of Fenians throughout England and travelled to Manchester to a meeting. While there, they were arrested on suspicion of being Fenians. They were remanded twice, and on the second occasion, seven days later, on the 18th of September 1867, Kelly and DC were being transferred from the courthouse to Bellevue Jail on Hyde Road, Gorton. They were handcuffed and locked in two separate compartments inside a horse-drawn police van, escorted by a squad of 12 mounted policemen. The van contained six prisoners, a 12-year-old boy who was being taken to a reformatory, three women convicted of misdemeanours, and the two Finians. As it passed under a railway arch, a man darted into the middle of the road, pointed a pistol at the driver and told him to stop. Simultaneously, a party of about 30 or 40 men leaped over a wall at the side of the road, surrounded the van and seized the horses, one of which they shot. The unarmed police were described by Omar Condon, who organised the attack on the police van, as a miscellaneous lot, apparently embracing the long and short and the fat and lean of the Manchester force. They offered little resistance and soon fled. The rescuers, after an unsuccessful attempt to force open the van with hatchets, sledgehammers and crowbars, called upon Police Sergeant Brett, who was inside the van with the prisoners, to open the door. Brett refused, so one of the rescuers placed his revolver at the keyhole of the van to blow the lock, just as Brett looked through the keyhole to see what was happening outside. The bullet passed through his eye into his brain and killed him. The door was opened by one of the women prisoners when she took the keys from Brett's pocket and passed them through a ventilator to the Fenians outside. Both Kelly and DC escaped to the United States and were never recaptured. Kelly later obtained employment in the New York Custom House. He was later associated with the Irish Republican Brotherhood in New York in 1871. He was secretary to the committee which welcomed the Cuba Five, a group of released Fenian prisoners to New York. He died at his residence, 31 East 130th Street in New York on the 5th of February 1908. He is buried in Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx, New York City. But in the roundup that followed their escape, three of the rescuers were taken, sentenced to death and hanged. Their names were W.P. Allen, Michael Larkin and Michael O'Brien. Another, Thomas Maguire, who had also been sentenced, was granted a pardon. And Omar Condon, an American citizen, had his sentence commuted on the eve of his execution. When a reference was made in Westminster, calling them murderers, Parnell denied the accusation in 1877. He said, I shall never believe that a murder was committed at Manchester. The execution of the Manchester martyrs in 1867 so incensed Parnell and intensified his hostility to the regime that he decided to try for election to the Westminster Parliament as a Home Rule candidate. He ran in 1875 and secured election with a good majority for County Meath, and later in 1877 he became president 
of the Home Rule Confederation of Great Britain. While at Westminster, he became famous for his obstructive tactics. Charles Stuart Parnell, 1846 to 1891, was an Irish nationalist politician who served as a Member of Parliament from 1875 to 1891, also acting as leader of the Home Rule League from 1880 to 1882, and then leader of the Irish Parliamentary Party from 1882 to 1891. His party held the balance of power in the House of Commons during the Home Rule debates of 1885 and 1886. Born into a powerful Anglo-Irish Protestant landowning family, Charles was born in Avondale House, County Wicklow. He was the third son and seventh child of John Henry Parnell, a wealthy Anglo-Irish Anglican landowner and his American wife, Delia Tudor Stewart, of Bordentown, New Jersey, daughter of the American naval hero, Admiral Charles Stewart, the stepson of one of George Washington's bodyguards. There were 11 children in all, five boys and six girls. Admiral Stewart's mother, Parnell's great-grandmother, belonged to the Tudor family, so Parnell had the distant relationship with the British royal family. His father was a cousin of one of Ireland's leading aristocrats, Viscount Powerscourt, and also the grandson of a Chancellor of the Exchequer in Grattan's Parliament, Sir John Parnell, who lost office in 1799 when he opposed the Act of Union. Parnell's parents separated when he was six, and as a boy he was sent to different schools in England, where he spent an unhappy youth. His father died in 1859, and he inherited the Avondale estate, while his older brother John inherited another estate in County Armagh. The young Parnell studied at Maudling College, Cambridge, 1865-69, to but due to the troubled financial circumstances of the estate he inherited, he was absent a great deal and never completed his degree. In 1871, he joined his elder brother John Howard Parnell, who farmed in Alabama, later an Irish Parnellite MP and heir to the Avondale estate on an extended tour of the United States. Their travels took them mostly through the South and apparently the brothers neither spent much time in centres of Irish immigration nor sought out Irish Americans. In 1874 Charles became High Sheriff of Wicklow, his home county in which he was also an officer in the Wicklow militia. He was noted as an improving landowner who played an important part in opening the South Wicklow area to industrialisation. His attention was drawn to the theme dominating the Irish political scene in the mid-1870s. Isaac Butt's Home Rule League, formed in 1873 to campaign for a moderate degree of self-government. It was in support of this movement that Parnell first tried to stand for election in Wicklow, but as High Sheriff was disqualified. He failed again in 1874 as Home Rule candidate in a County Dublin by-election. When Gladstone came to know him in later years, he was astonished to find that Parnell was ignorant even of the basic facts of Irish history. The romantic vision that characterised young Ireland and the Fenians escaped him completely. He knew little of figures like Sarsfield, Tone or Emmett, and even appeared unsure of who won the Battle of the Boyne. 
Kevin Haddock Flynn, in 2005, argues that the primary reason Parnell joined the Irish cause was his implacable hostility towards England, which probably was founded on grievances from his school days and his mother's hostility towards England. Charles Stuart Parnell was a land reform agitator, founder of the Irish National Land League in 1879. He became leader of the Home Rule League, operating independently of the Liberal Party, winning great influence by his balancing of constitutional, radical and economic issues, and by his skilful use of parliamentary procedure. He was imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail, Dublin, in 1882, but he was released when he renounced violent extra-parliamentary action. The same year, he reformed the Home Rule League as the Irish Parliamentary Party, which he controlled minutely as Britain's first disciplined democratic party. The hung parliament of 1885 saw him hold the balance of power between William Gladstone's Liberal Party and Lord Salisbury's Conservative Party. His part in Gladstone's adoption of Home Rule as the central tenet of the Liberal Party. Parnell's reputation peaked from 1889 to 1890 after letters published in the Times linking him to the Phoenix Park killings of 1882 were shown to have been forged by Richard Piggott. The Irish Parliamentary Party split in 1890 following the revelation of Parnell's long adulterous love affair which led to many British Liberals refusing to work with him, and engendered strong opposition to him from Catholic bishops. He headed a small minority faction until his death in 1891. Parnell is celebrated as the best organiser of a political party up to that time, and one of the most formidable figures in parliamentary history. Many believe that Home Rule could have been achieved without bloodshed, if he had not been brought down by personal circumstances. The Land War was a period of agrarian agitation in rural Ireland that began in 1879, after the famine and the failed rising of the United Irishmen. It may refer specifically to the first and most intense period of agitation between 1879 and 1882, or include later outbreaks of agitation that periodically reignited until 1923. The agitation was led by the Irish National Land League and its successors, the Irish National League and the United Irish League, and aimed to secure fair rent, free sale, security of tenure for the tenant farmers, and ultimately ownership of the land they worked. From 1870, various British governments introduced a series of land acts that granted many of the Irish activists' demands. William O'Brien played a leading role in the 1902 Land Conference to pave the way for the most advanced social legislation in Ireland since the Union, the Land Purchase Ireland Act 1903. This act set the conditions for the breakup of large estates by government-sponsored purchase. William O'Brien, 1852-1928, was an Irish nationalist, journalist, agitator, social revolutionary, politician, party leader, and newspaper publisher. He was also an author and member of the Parliament in the House of Commons. 
He was particularly associated with the campaigns for land reform in Ireland during the late 19th and early 20th centuries, as well as his conciliatory approach to attaining Irish home rule. During his imprisonment until April 1882, William O'Brien drafted the famous Land War No Rent Manifesto, a rent-withholding scheme personally led by O'Brien, escalating the conflict between the Land League and Gladstone's government. In 1920, Arthur Griffith said of O'Brien, the task of William O'Brien's generation was well and bravely done. Had it not been so, the work we are carrying out in this generation would have been impossible. In that great work, none of Parnell's lieutenants did so much as William O'Brien. Alongside the political and legal changes, the Long Depression affected rent yields and landlord-tenant relations across all of Europe from the 1870s to the 1890s. The population of Ireland was overwhelmingly rural. In 1841, four-fifths of the population lived in villages of less than 20 houses. This ratio declined over the century, but only due to the emigration from rural areas and not from growth of the towns and cities. Land in Ireland was concentrated into relatively few hands many of them absentee landlords. In 1870, 50% of the island was owned by 750 families. Between 1850 and 1870, landlords extracted £340 million in rent, far exceeding tax receipts for the same period, of which only 4 to 5% was reinvested. This led landlords to take on a role of non-productive managers within Ireland's overall economy. Conflict between landlord and tenants arose from the opposing viewpoints. On such issues as land consolidation, security of tenure, transition from tillage to grazing, and the role of the market. In 1870, the Liberal Prime Minister Gladstone pushed through the Landlord and Tenant Ireland Act 1870. The Act actually increased agrarian tensions as landlords attempted to evade provisions intended to protect departing tenants, while the tenants retaliated by setting up local tenants' defence associations. The Land War began on the 20th of April 1879 at a mass meeting in Irish Town, County Mayo, organised by local and Dublin-based activists, led by Michael Davitt and James Daly. The activists tried to mobilise an alliance of tenant farmers, shopkeepers and clergy in favour of land reform. Although the clergy refused to participate, some 7,000 to 13,000 people attended the meeting, having come from all parts of counties Mayo, Roscommon and Sligo. The main issue was rent, which was typically paid in the spring. Due to the poor harvest, tenants could not afford to pay, and many had been threatened with eviction. The crowd was guided and led into position by local Fenians, recruited by David in an earlier trip, with help from local Irish Republican Brotherhood leader Pat Nally. Even though the IRB Council refused to sanction agrarian activism, Speakers included John O'Connor Power, 1846-1919, an Irish Fenian and a Home Rule League and Irish Parliamentary Party politician, 
who, as MP in the House of Commons, represented Mayo from June 1874 to 1885. He practised as a barrister from 1881. Thomas Brennan, 1853 to 1912, who was an Irish Fenian, agrarian, radical and co-founder and joint first secretary of the Irish National Land League and signatory of the No Rent Manifesto. John Ferguson, 1836 to 1906, was an Ulster-born, Glasgow-based radical activist for Irish nationalism. He represented Irish people in Scotland and the Scottish Labour Party. He worked closely with Michael Davitt and James Daly. In 1879, Michael Cusick, credited with founding the Gaelic Athletic Association, met Pat Nally, who had in 1877 attempted to start a nationalist athletics association, but had never got off the ground. Cusick found that Nally's views on the influence of British landlordism on Irish athletics were similar to his own. Cusick would recall how both Nally and himself, while walking through the Phoenix Park in Dublin, seeing only a handful of people playing sports in the park, so depressed them that they agreed it was time to make an effort to preserve the physical strength of our race. Nally organised a national athletic sports meeting in County Mayo in September of 1879, which was a success, with Cusick organising a similar event in Dublin the following April. In 1881, Pat Nally was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment in Mountjoy Jail, Dublin, for what became known as the Crossmalina Conspiracy, where he was reportedly subjected to a harsh treatment. Nally died in prison in November 1891, and the resultant Nally GAA club in Dublin would be closely associated with working-class nationalists and republicans. One of the stands in Croke Park is named after Nally, and is unique for being the only stand in the stadium named after a person who had no connection to the Gaelic Athletic Association. On the 2nd of November 1879, Michael David addressed a land meeting at Gertine County Sligo, declaring of landlord-tenant relations that time has come when the manhood of Ireland will spring to its feet and say it will tolerate this system no longer. James Daly stated that... If anyone was evicted, it was the duty of his fellows to assemble in their thousands and reinstate him the next day. James Bryce Killeen ended his speech by wishing that everyone at the meeting were armed with a rifle. On the 19th of November, Davitt, Daly and Killeen were arrested on a charge of using seditious language. Their arrest led to mass protest meetings. Parnell used it to launch a propaganda drive in Britain and the United States, and the authorities failed to achieve a conviction. In his book, David and the Irish Revolution, 1846-82, to T.W. Moody states that the government had thus incurred a great deal of ridicule. David, Daly and Killeen became known as the Gertine Three, and the collapse of their trial spelt the end of feudal landlordism. In Ireland. Local Fenians organised meetings at Clare Morris on the 25th of May 1879 with 200 attendees and knock on the 1st of June 1879 with a reported 20,000 to 30,000 turnout in protest of the church's position. Another meeting was held in Westport, County Mayo on the 8th of June in protest against the Marquis of Sligo, the largest landowner in Mayo. 
David persuaded Parnell to speak, and 8,000 people turned out. Parnell went on with the engagement, even after John MacHale, Archbishop of Toom, denounced the meeting in a 7th of June letter to the Freeman's Journal. Parnell also wanted to prevent the new movement's capture by Fenian radicals, as the latter were unacceptable to the Catholic clergy and to larger tenants, on whose support Parnell depended. This meeting, especially Parnell's speech, in which he promoted peasant proprietorship, was widely reported in the press as far afield as London. Initially, the movement was non-sectarian in character, and Protestant tenants also took part in meetings. The focus of the leadership shifted from agitation to organisation to harness the new energy for the national cause. On the 16th of August 1879, the Land League of Mayo was founded in Castle Bar, at which point the first overtures were made to the Catholic hierarchy. From September, priests quickly assumed leadership roles in the movement and presided over more than two-thirds of the meetings in the rest of 1879. The movement continued to gain strength as the economic situation deteriorated. Involvement of the clergy made it much more difficult for the British government to take action against the movement, which instilled almost perfect unity among Irish tenant farmers. In several constituencies, Land League-backed candidates failed in the 1880 general election due to clerical opposition. On the 21st of October 1879, a Land League of Mayo was superseded by the Irish National Land League based in Dublin, with Parnell made its president. As the land agitation progressed, it was taken over by larger farmers and the centre of gravity shifted away from the distressed western districts In Mayo in 1879, potato harvest was only 1.4 tonnes per acre, less than half of the previous year. At the Land League Conference in April 1880, Parnell's programme of conciliation with landlords was rejected in favour for a demand for the abolition of landlordism promoted by Davitt and other radicals. On the 17th of May, Parnell was elected to the presidency of the Irish Parliamentary Party. Local chapters of the Land League frequently were formed from previous associations, such as tenants' defence associations or farmers' clubs, which decided to join the Land League because of the greater financial resources offered. This brought larger farmers and grazers into the movement. The Land League adopted the slogan, The Land for the People, which was vague enough to be acceptable to Irish nationalists across the political spectrum. For most of the tenant farmers, the slogan meant owning their own land. For smallholders on uneconomic holdings, especially in the congested western areas, it meant being granted larger holdings that their families had held previous to the Great Famine evictions. For radicals such as Michael Davitt, it meant land nationalisation. The fusion between land agitation and nationalist politics was based on the idea that the land of Ireland rightfully belonged to the Irish people, but had been stolen by English invaders, who had foisted a foreign system of land tenure upon it. Nominally, the Land League condemned large-scale grazing as improper use of land that rightfully belonged to tillage farmers, as investment in grazing land was the main vehicle of upward mobility for rural Catholics. The new Catholic grazers class was torn between its natural allegiance to Irish nationalism and its economic dependence on landlords to rent land for grazing. 
Many sided with the Land League, creating a mixed-class body whose actual economic interests conflicted. This further consolidated the nationalist nature of the Land League. In 1881, the government conceded on demands for fair rents, security of tenure and free sale. Parnell was arrested for membership of the now-illegal Land League and imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail. Whilst in jail, Parnell moved in April 1882 to make a deal with the government, negotiated through Captain William O'Shea MP, that, provided the government settled the rent arrears question, allowing 100,000 tenants to appeal for fair rent before the land courts, then withdrawing the manifesto, and undertaking to move against agrarian crime. After he realised militancy would never win home rule, Parnell also promised to use his good offices to quell the violence and to cooperate cordially for the future with the Liberal Party in forwarding liberal principles and measures of general reform. His release on the 2nd of May 1882, following the so-called Kilmainham Treaty, marked a critical turning point in the development of Parnell's leadership when he returned to the parameters of parliamentary and constitutional politics and resulted in the loss of support of Devoy's American-Irish. His political diplomacy preserved the national home rule movement after the Phoenix Park killings of the Chief Secretary Lord Frederick Cavendish and his Under-Secretary T.H. Burke on the 6th of May 1882. Parnell was shocked to the extent that he offered Gladstone to resign his seat as MP. This allowed him to break links with radical land leaguers. In the end, it resulted in a Parnell-Gladstone alliance working closely together. Michael Davitt and other prominent members left the IRB and many rank-and-file Fenians drifted into the Home Rule movement. For the next 20 years, the IRB ceased to be an important force in Irish politics, leaving Parnell and his party the leaders of the nationalist movement in Ireland. Michael Davitt had opposed the Kilmainham Treaty, and William Foster, Chief Secretary for Ireland, also opposed it, and resigned. He was replaced by Lord Frederick Cavendish. Parnell became the centre of public attention when in March and April 1887, he found himself accused by the British newspaper, The Times, of supporting the brutal murders in May 1882 of the newly appointed Chief Secretary for Ireland, Lord Frederick Cavendish, and the permanent Under-Secretary, Thomas Henry Burke, in Dublin's Phoenix Park, and of the general involvement of his movement with crime. Letters were published which suggested Parnell was complicit in the murders. A commission of inquiry which Parnell had requested, revealed in February 1889, after 128 sessions, that the letters were a fabrication created by Richard Piggott, a disreputable anti-Parnellite rogue journalist. Piggott broke down under cross-examination after the letter was shown to be a forgery by him with his characteristic spelling mistakes. He fled to Madrid, where he committed suicide. Parnell was vindicated to the disappointment of the Tories and the Prime Minister, Lord Salisbury. Later on, Parnell's leadership was first put to the test in February 1886, when he forced the candidature of Captain William O'Shea, who had negotiated the Kilmainham Treaty, for a Galway by-election. 
Parnell rode roughshod over his lieutenants Healy, Dillon and O'Brien, who were not in favour of O'Shea. Galway was the harbinger of the fatal crisis to come. O'Shea had separated from his wife Catherine O'Shea sometime around 1885, but would not divorce her as she was expecting a substantial inheritance. Mrs. O'Shea acted as liaison in 1885 with Gladstone during proposals for the first Home Rule Bill. Parnell later took up residence with her in Eltham, Kent, in the summer of 1886, and was a known overnight visitor at the O'Shea House in Brockley, Kent. When Mrs. O'Shea's aunt died in 1889, her money was left in trust. On the 24th of December 1889, Captain O'Shea filed for divorce, citing Parnell as co-respondent, although the case did not come for trial until the 15th of November 1890. The two-day trial revealed that Parnell had been the long-term lover of Mrs. O'Shea and had fathered three of her children. Meanwhile, Parnell assured the Irish party that there was no need to fear the verdict because he would be exonerated. During January 1890, resolutions of confidence in his leadership were passed throughout the country. Parnell did not contest the divorce action at the hearing on the 15th of November to ensure that it would be granted and he could marry Mrs. O'Shea. So Captain O'Shea's allegations went unchallenged. A divorce decree was granted on the 17th of November 1890, but Parnell's two surviving children were placed in O'Shea's custody. News of the long-standing adultery created a huge public scandal. The Irish National League passed a resolution to confirm his leadership. The Catholic Church hierarchy in Ireland was shocked by Parnell's immorality and feared that he would wreck the cause of home rule. Besides the issue of tolerating immorality, the bishops sought to keep control of Irish Catholic politics and they no longer trusted Parnell as an ally. The chief Catholic leader, Archbishop Walsh of Dublin, came under heavy pressure from politicians, his fellow bishops and Cardinal Manning. Walsh finally declared against Parnell. Emmett Larkin, 1961, says, For the first time in Irish history, the two dominant forces of nationalism and Catholicism came to a parting of the ways. In England, one strong base of Liberal Party support was non-conformist Protestants such as the Methodists. The non-conformist conscience rebelled against having an adulterer play a major role in the Liberal Party. Gladstone warned that if Parnell retained the leadership, it would mean the loss of the next election, the end of their alliance, and also of home rule. With Parnell obdurate, the alliance collapsed in bitterness. These accusations now formed the first stumbling blocks to Parnell's career in politics. The Phoenix Park murder gang were known as the Invincibles and were not known to Parnell. It was well known that Burke was their target and their ire and that Cavendish was in the wrong place at the wrong time. They had accused Burke of being a castle spy and busying himself unnecessarily in unearthing Fenian fugitives at the time of the uprising. They also accused Burke of indicating to the Lord Lieutenant the suspects of the Land League. The English government responded to the murders by bringing in the Crimes Act, which conferred autocratic powers on trial judges, jury trials being held in abeyance. It suppressed public meetings and silenced the press. In a word, it extinguished the faint flickering light of liberty on the horizon in Ireland. 
The powers conferred by this bill on magistrates, the police, and the entire Irish executive were such as afforded them the facilities for searching any house or premises at any hour of the day or night. The trial of the Invincibles took place in the spring of 1883 and lasted for almost two months. Five men were convicted on the evidence of one of their leaders, who had been their guide, counsellor and leader, and who had plotted the whole foul deed. After conviction, they were executed in Dublin in May and June 1883. Their names were Joe Brady, Dan Curley, Michael Fagan, Tom Caffrey and Timmy Kelly. The informer, James Carey, was quickly spirited away from the astonished supporters and hidden in Newgate Prison, in London, awaiting his reward from his British masters, which came in the form of a secret destination in one of its distant colonies as part payment. Carey and his wife and children were shipped on board the steamer Melrose Castle to Port Elizabeth in Cape Town, South Africa. The ghost of retribution stalked Carey in the person of Patrick O'Donnell, a fellow passenger on board the ship. He recognised the informer, and a heated row took place between them on Sunday the 29th of July 1883, which resulted in Carey drawing his revolver. But O'Donnell was quicker on the draw and shot Carey dead. He claimed it was done in self-defence, but he was not believed. O'Donnell was clamped in irons and shipped to England to stand trial. His doom was now a foregone conclusion. Even though he had the best lawyers that money could buy, they were unable to make the smallest impression on a strongly biased English jury. Patrick O'Donnell was convicted and executed on the 17th of December, 1883. The fearless, unflinching champion of Ireland's rights, who had struggled against tremendous opposition and had led the people to within sight of freedom, Charles Stuart Parnell was no more. He died in Brighton with his wife Catherine at 10 Walsingham Terrace at the age of 45 on the 6th of October 1891. His remains were returned to Dublin where the entire city was draped in mourning. The immense funeral cortege that escorted his remains to Glasnevin Cemetery attested the universal grief of the people for the loss of one of Ireland's greatest sons. Tall trees 
whisper and know the tale of Avondale's proud eagle. Long years that green and lovely vale has nursed Parnell her proudest gale and cursed the land that was betrayed for Avondale's proud eagle. In England now, where he must stay with his true love, Kitty O'Shea. And when he lays his head to sleep for Avondale, he'll surely weep. Oh, have you been to Avondale and lingered in its lovely Tall trees whisper and know the tale